You can talk all you want to about God and what he can do for you, but you'll never know what God can do until you walk through the fire. You never know what God can do until you've been sick and you got a healing. Hallelujah, he's a lawyer in the courtroom. And sometimes you need a lawyer in the courtroom when you know you're guilty, you know you're messed up, but you need God's help. God says, I give you favor and grace sometimes. You'll never know until you've walked through the fire and experienced your deliverance. Welcome to The Light of the World, and this is Jerry G. Martin. The only hope we have is in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what you're going through. The hope in Christ is eternal. You may be facing some tremendous challenges right now. Join us today as we share this message with you about hope. Whoever you are and whatever is going on in your life, you can take a moment anytime and always say, thanks be to God. No matter what you got going on and where you are, and where you might be in transition, you might have some issues, you might have health problems, you might have financial challenges, whatever it is, say, thanks be to God. Come on, let's say that. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. It may not be what I want, but it ain't as bad as it could be. Father, we just thank you right now. Thanks be to God. When you give thanks to God, you are recognizing the influence that God has over your well-being. I called my mother the other morning. I said, how you doing? She said, I'm having a little problem getting up and I'm, and I'm hopping around. I said, well, let's thank God for the hopping. Because some people won't even be able to get up. So let's thank him for the hopping. We just start praising God and you can hop right now. There's always a couple of ways to look at something. The devil going to say, see that? You can't get nothing. God don't think about you. you. Where's your faith? You ain't got no faith. God don't heal. You mad at him now. Thanks be to God. Many of the people in the church in Corinth were those who were conquered by the Romans and were not citizens. They were not only some citizens, but they were also subjects of the Roman Empire. The Romans were conquerors. They conquered many territories and countries and nations. Paul takes something that happened frequently in Rome and in the nations, and he used that occasion to give the church at Corinth a picture of what he was talking about in terms of this triumphant procession. When the wars are over, um, in our generation, they've fought wars that have never been over. The war in Afghanistan isn't over. The Vietnam War ain't over because they just got up and ran. But we ain't whooped nobody since World War II. When they came home from the war, they had these big parades. But they had parades. You can go back and look at the film of them coming down the Fifth Avenue or wherever the place is in New York. They have a national parades and they're celebrating and people are coming out cheering on the victors and the generals and all of those are in the parade and all of that. And they're just saying, we won the war. We had victory in, in Europe. We had victory in Japan. We, we are victorious. And so they had a possession. Well, they did that when Rome would come back from war and they would have these parades or processions, the general would enter the city in a chariot and he'd have the, the captives and the people that were captives were also in the parade. 
The general was often accompanied in his chariots by his wife or children and friends, and then behind him would be slaves holding up the crown over his head, and the infantry would come down in the rear, and they would be shouting, triumph, 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 as they praised their leaders and praised their gods. This is the picture that Paul was conveying when he said, thanks be to God who always leads us in a triumphant possession in Christ. We are in a possession, but it is led by Christ. Christ is the victor. You know who we are in that possession? We are his slaves. He conquered sin in the grave and brought us back as his captives. This is who I took from the devil and from his purpose and from his plan, and these are my captives. These are the spoil of the spiritual war that is waging against Satan and all of his forces, trying to use these people who were his slaves, his subjects, and now we've come, and I've offered salvation, and I've taken these, and now they belong to me. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? talking to believers now, who is in you, whom you've received from God, you are not your own. That's a bad thing to tell us in our culture. You ain't your own. You don't even belong to you. Well, who do you belong to? He said, you were bought with a price. Jesus paid the price and he conquered sin and death and he rescued you with his precious blood. So you don't belong to yourself. Now, you don't belong to yourself, so why do you keep acting like you got to do your own thing? When you get saved, you don't have an own thing anymore. You don't do no own thing. You did that when you was unsaved. You don't have a thing when you get saved. <laughs> you belong to God. And if you're still doing your own thing, then you are missing the opportunity. You're not a minister. You're one of them bootleg ministers. If you're still doing your own thing, you can't do his thing and your thing at the same time because they are, are opposed to one another. He said, you have been bought with the price. You are not your own. Therefore, honor God in your body. Here's what Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 14, verse 7. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So if you haven't settled the fact that you belong to God, then you're still arguing every day about whose will will be done. Jesus taught us in the model prayer. When you pray, say, Lord, thy will be done. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. And when are we going to get to the point where that's a reality in our lives that we're going to say, Lord, whatever you want, your will be done. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul says this to the same church, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him who died and was raised again. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God 
that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what's good. Paul is saying Jesus Christ came, he grabbed us, he put us in the parade and he's having his victory march so that all of us who are walking behind him, all of these belong to me. Now I'm going to put them to work in the kingdom. I'm going to give them an assignment. Don't think that the people that they uh, conquer just came over in the new land and just sit down at the beach. They put them to work. You have an assignment now. You were a slave. You belong to us, and you're going to work. That's why we brought you over here. You're going to do what I'm not able to do. The Lord has us here to do what he's unable to do because he's not here. I wonder why he used to say, greater work shall ye do. You You know why he said, greater work shall ye do? Because ye supposed to be doing some work. And if you didn't know you were a ye, well, you are a ye. Greater work shall you do. In other words, he's saying, my space is limited. Even if I was there, I couldn't do all those things. So my spirit is going to go into you. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you're going to be able to do all this ministry work. So I got all these people. Now, how many people you think in the world right now that say they are saved? Millions of people in the U.S. say they're saved. They're born-again believers. And he said, look, I got all these millions of people that I expect to be ministering every day. Let me just, let me ask you a question. Have you by any chance ran into somebody in the last few weeks that's been ministering? Where are all these millions of people that he bought with his own blood and say, you are ministering and you have an assignment? You ever run into any of them? How many people that have even shared their faith with you didn't know you were saved and tried to just say, hey, are you a believer? You don't run into that. Where are they? I tell you where they're at. They're in church. You don't run into them. I mean, I ran into some at the Super Bowl weekend. They were downtown on the street corner passing out tracks. But in our everyday life, nobody's talking about the Lord or, or engaging in some of the things that uh, on a personal level, when we do, we whisper, hey, I see you reading your Bible. People seem to be um, taken back when they see somebody praying at the restaurant over their food nowadays. They'll come over to your table and say, I was across the room and I saw you praying. I'm like, you ought to be seeing everybody praying. You, if you were back there in that kitchen see what they were doing, you'd be praying. You'd be laying hands on your food. You'd be, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over these potatoes. Lord, I know they had them out here three days ago. That baked potato that they had three days ago is now potato soup. Just look when you go to, out, to, out to dinner and see how many people you see praying over there. Somebody will say, Father, I stretch my hands to thee. No other help I know. Y'all don't do that when y'all go to the restaurant? Try to find another believer out here doing ministry work. I'm not talking about somebody obnoxious and really making a lot of noise, but I mean, did anybody ever say anything to you? 
then do you ever say anything to anybody? Paul begins with, we're part of this triumphant possession. Thanks be to God who always leads us. He continually leads us in triumphant possession in Christ. And then through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. So not only did they have these parades, when these parades were going on, uh, there were incense and fragrance all along the parade path and flowers and smells and everything celebrating. And he grabbed that same imagery. You know how you smell all that fragrance when they're coming in? The Romans are coming in and they're having that big parade? Well, we are the fragrance of Christ. We are to God, to God. This is who we are. We are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved. We are the aroma of Christ because Christ is on the inside of us. And what's on the inside of us needs to start demonstrating itself on the outside of us. We ought to have a little bit of a different uh, demeanor when we're saved than when, before we were saved. We ought to have a different reaction. We are not getting mad when we're in traffic and somebody's just sitting there at the light for two seconds when it turned green and you behind them just blowing. And just getting mad and all that stuff like that. I'm like, you ain't going nowhere. I mean, it's a traffic jam. Just relax. Enjoy. Sing some worship songs. Praise God. Magnify God. We are the aromas. People ought to like being around us because we smell good spiritually. We have a wonderful spirit. We have a nice spirit. We have an accommodating spirit. We have a, a spirit that's just a, a satisfying, a sweet-smelling fragrance around us. And that fragrance uh, is a perfume called joy. It's a scent called peace. It's another fragrance sometimes just called goodness. And self-control, it's, it's called, it's called long-suffering. You say, I can work with that. I'll work with that. I'll work with that. Don't worry about it, honey. We're going to make it. Don't worry about it. We're going to make it. People need that. That's that fragrance where they love being around us. You know, people shouldn't be seeing us come down the hall and then inside they don't even want to confront us. They want to go another way because they see us coming. Something's wrong with that picture. I had a situation like that on my job until the Lord worked me over. There's a, somebody I didn't like. So when I saw them coming, I went the other way. And then the Lord said, which one of y'all are saved? I say, me. He said, you need to go fix that. I didn't like him. He didn't like me. He was a good old boy from the country. And somebody gave me a very nice baseball cap. I mean, it was nicely embroidered, but it had his name on it. And I walked in his office and sat down and I said, I know you like baseball caps. And I want to give you this one. I did it in faith, believe me. <laughs> I did it out of obedience to the Lord. And uh, when I left the company, he s stood up and said he wanted to say something in my little event they had for me. But it was very complimentary. But we're the ones that have to give in. We're the ones that have to do what we need to do to make things work where we are. When, you, when sometimes you have to minister with your silence, when everybody else is going to jump in and say something, you minister with your silence and a blessed silence. You know, some people got a silence. If everything all right, I'm all right. Are you okay? I'm okay with it. 
No, you have to minister with your silence. So God wants you to minister. You can, you, you'd be surprised who you're ministering to because he wants you to minister. Somebody is watching you, especially if you have told them that you're a believer. Whether you told them, you got your Bible sitting on your desk, you shared with them before, they are watching you and they need something from you. God wants you to minister right where you are. To the one with the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And then he asked a question, so who is equal to the task? Who can handle this? Who can make this work? And that's the question that he was answering when he said, we can, because he's made us competent ministers. Can you make the fragrance work? Can you make the aroma of Christ work? Can you make that letter that God said you are a letter written from God that others need to read? Who can make that work? Who's, who's up to the task? Are you up to the task? Ephesians 5, 1, Paul says, be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant office and sacrifice to God. I know we got stuff going on. I know we got our lives to live. We got a lot of activity going on around us. We got stuff every day we got to do. But what I want to do, I want to encourage you to reset your priority and say, God, I want you to use my life today however you want to use my life to make a difference somewhere. I belong to you. I'm no longer my own. I'm submitting my priorities to you. Listen, there's never been a time in my life when I have put my priorities at the bottom and put God's priorities at the top that he didn't turn right around and bless me. There are times I did that. I said, well, I can't do this right now. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I had a business, started the church, and I was doing pretty good in that little business, but it was taking a lot of my time away from study and preparing for service. So I put that business aside. God blessed me. I had a radio broadcast. I wasn't even a pastor. 1360 said, would you want to do a program? And I, so I was doing a teaching on Saturday mornings for 30 minutes live every Saturday. Then I recognized since I was working every day, and then on Sunday I was at church early in the morning at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, and my children were small. And I said, you know, there's never a day when my children wake up that I'm at home. They probably think I don't live there until in the evening. So I'm going to let this radio broadcast go so I can be home on Saturday mornings. I didn't even have to pay for the broadcast. It was given to me, but I let it go anyway. You giving that up? I'm trying to get on the air. Well, uh, yeah, I'm giving it up because I was impressed in my heart. I need to be home with my kids. When they wake up, I want them to see me at the house. We weren't pastoring there. But when I started pastoring, I got a call from the radio station and said, do you want some radio time? We give it to you. And we've been at 6 o'clock for over 20 years. Whenever you're giving up something for God, Jesus said if a man give up a house or family or whatever in this world, God's going to bless you many times over, not only in the world to come, but in this present world. 
You don't have to wonder about, you know, if I do this, I got other things I want to do. You know, I was busy before I started pastoring. I had a lot of stuff I was doing. But I put all that stuff aside. I got busy again. Whenever I rearrange things, I get busy, but I try to keep the main thing the main thing. You are God's triumphant possession. That's who you are. I want you to know who you are over the next few weeks. You are God's triumphant possession. You are his fragrance that others should be able to enjoy as you minister, as you walk as a minister. I want you to get out of this thing of uh, minister got to go out and preach to somebody. Minister got to go out and lay hands on everybody. Minister got to go get you a little card. And uh, you don't have to go and come in here with no minister vestments with your collar backwards and all that stuff like that. What God wants you to do is to be that one who recognizes that he has assigned you. You may not know. You may think, I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, he didn't save you without a purpose in mind. All he wants you to do is say, okay, God. I'm available. I don't know how you want to use me. He's going to use your personality. He's going to use your temperament. He's going to use your introvertness if you're an introvert. He's going to use your extrovertness if you're an extrovert. He's going to use you, but he's looking for somebody to say, okay, God, I'm yours. Let's say that tonight. Lord, we belong to you. Thank you, Lord, for having us in this triumphant possession. Thank you, Lord, for looking at us as your fragrant offering. Thank you, mighty God. Thank you, mighty God. I never thought you could use me in the capacity that you're using me. But I thank you, Father, for taking somebody who was broken and not organized and not interested in what you were doing and using the gifts that you put in my life. Thank you, mighty God. Thank you for using the gifts that you've given me. Come on, thank him right now. Thank you for using the gift that you've given me. I'm fighting what the devil is trying to put in your mind. God's not going to use you. You, don't, can't, you can't do this. Look at this. Look at that. Look at this. No. Look at the fact that God saved you and that you don't belong to yourself. You belong to him. It's up to him to do the rest. Father, we just thank you right now. It's up to you to do what you want to do in our lives. It's up to you to open the doors. It's up to you to, to make it plain to me how you want to use my life. Thank you for it right now. We praise you for it right now. Father, we are receptive to the things of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are receptive. Come on, say, I'm receptive to the Holy Spirit and how you want to use my life. I am receptive to the Holy Spirit and how you want to use my life. Right now, come on, if you're not receptive, keep talking till you get receptive. I am receptive, God, to what you want to do in my life and how you want to order my life. I am receptive. I thank you, mighty God. God is trying to do things through you. And he wants to do them more than you want to do it. If he doesn't make it plain to you what he wants to do in your life, then he cannot hold you accountable for not doing it. There's an old hymn that says, The only hope we have is in Christ Jesus. With all the things that are going on in our country and in our community, and perhaps even in our own homes, we need the eternal hope that the Lord Jesus Christ brings through his salvation. This is Jerry G. Martin, and I hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to hear it again, you can go to our podcast at The Light of the World Daily with Jerry G. Martin. You can listen to today's message or any previous messages that you've heard on this station. We are in a place where it is time to rebuild. 
It was Nehemiah who said about the walls in Jerusalem, The walls have been torn down, and the gates of the city has been burned to wit fire. At the light of the world, we are preparing for a week of fasting and prayer. And you can join right along with us. We're going to have in-person prayer every evening beginning Monday, November the 1st through Friday, November the 5th at 7 p.m. at our main sanctuary at 16161 Old Umber Road. And you're welcome to join along with us as we're going to pray over our country. We're going to pray over our community. We're going to pray over our families. Again, that's November 1st through 5th, 7 o'clock p.m. You can come from all over the city and join us right here in the humble North Houston area. You're also invited to be our guest each Sunday at 10 a.m. for our morning service in person. We are coming back together, worshiping God and reaching people for his kingdom. For more information, you can call us at 281-964-1393 or visit us online at lowcf.com. Now for the light of the world, this is Jerry G. Martin saying, may the Lord our God richly bless you and we'll be with you again next time.